Well, good morning, everyone. It is May the 17th, 2020, or at least it will be when you're watching this. And uh, welcome to Bible class at the Anchorage Church of Christ. My name is Bob Lawrence. I'm one of the Bible class teachers here. And today we are going through the book of Titus. This is the second of two weeks that will be on that book. And I thought we would begin class today with a little driving test. You know, learning to drive a car is not easy, especially when that car is a stick shift, a manual transmission. Years ago, I brought a, I didn't, what am I saying? I, <laughs> a number of years ago, I bought a uh, Toyota truck, just a small truck, and I intentionally got one that had a manual transmission because I thought it would be valuable to teach the kiddos how to drive on a stick shift. Uh, it's pretty rare to find a stick shift anymore. So uh, this is this is a pretty good skill. And I thought it was one of those life skills. So I just teach them how to how to drive a stick shift. And who knows, down the road, maybe they'll be one of the few people in the world that know how to use one of these. How does that make you feel, Dag? Um, oh, great. Yeah, he was the first one to learn. But uh, so I practiced on Degnan, who's our oldest. And, uh, and then with each kid, I got a little better at teaching them how to drive a stick shift. So show them, show them what we got here. We're going to fire this thing up. So when you're teaching somebody to drive a stick shift, it, you know, you don't just go out on the road and say drive. There are several skills, like starting the truck. And to start the truck, you push the clutch. Very good. Hey, that was excellent. Good job. And so normally when we start learning how to drive in the stick shift, we start with just some of the small skills, like how do you get the car rolling by only using your clutch? And then we work our way up to using the clutch and then the gas pedal together. And then once you learn how to use the clutch and the gas together, then uh, we learn to use the different gear. So you start in first gear and then learn how to shift to second gear without stopping uh, and how to come to a stop sign without the, uh, without the engine sudden, suddenly sh shutting off, how to look for other traffic. And then how to go through the different gears, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. And then, uh, and then usually we end up on a hill and see what that's like to try to start the vehicle on a hill. That's usually a higher level skill, isn't it? So once you can do the, once you can do the hill, then you can probably handle a stoplight under pressure. Yeah. You know, learning to drive is really about learning a thousand different skills and then practicing them until you can use those skills without even thinking about it. You should probably say that again because that would take me right. Oh. <laughs> a thousand different skills. <laughs> I well, want to watch that video. <laughs> after, after years of practice, though, you can go through that and you might feel terrified, but you won't even look that way because you won't, won't even think about it. But here's the key, is that uh, learning to drive doesn't happen all at once. It's, it's a thousand small skills that are learned one after the other and then practiced over time. And when these thousands of skills are practiced over and over and over again, eventually we get to the point where uh, we're able to drive and follow all the rules of the road without even thinking about it. And, and if you understand that, then you understand uh, what the ancients meant by a word called virtue. Uh, in the ancient world, when they talked about a virtue, they talked about a quality, or they meant uh, that a person had a quality that they had developed 
uh, over time. It's not an inborn quality necessarily, it's just a quality that had been developed by practice over and over and over again. Now, the reason I mention that is today in our book of Titus, we are going to be going through uh, what a list of, of uh, things that Paul teaches Titus to be teaching the people in Crete. So you remember in Crete, the Cretes, uh, Cretans, the Cretans were known for being liars and brutes and lazy gluttons. And Paul says in order to change that culture, uh, Titus was to teach the church how to practice uh, a certain virtues. And he goes through this long Holy list of virtues. Paul loves lists. And uh, we'll go through that list today. But what I wanted you to see is that uh, with every single one of those qualities that Paul lists, and in many cases the virtues that he lists, uh, what should come to mind is a list of things that you don't just get all at once. These are uh, a few of the thousands of qualities that a person develops over time when they choose to follow Christ. Hey, you want to show off here? Just stop right here and let's, uh, let's, we're on a hill. So watch what happens when you stop on a hill. And if you've trained properly, what are you able to do using your clutch, your gas, your super spidey sense for how to get the car going? And let's see if you can go. Pretend the light turned green. Okay, we're going up a hill. Look at that. Look at that. Not even a pause. Okay. Do you hear the applaud the crowd there? They're all, they're all cheering for you. But when you read the list that uh, Paul introduces in the book of Titus, what should come to mind is that you're reading a list of qualities that a person does not get all at once. Uh, when you choose to follow Christ, you begin to develop these qualities. And after you follow Christ for uh, years, maybe even decades, then you develop a thousand different qualities that are particular to people who follow Christ. But those qualities come from practice. Uh, and when you practice these virtues and these qualities over and over and over again, uh, eventually these qualities that you read about in Titus end up being second nature. And so the book of Titus is a way of introducing us to one of the ways that, that God changes an entire culture. He does that one person at a time by teaching us what it means to, uh, to follow Christ and to, to learn how to do that. And in many ways, it's like learning to drive a truck. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And sometimes it's cool to have a big brother in the back who has already learned all these skills to, uh, to help cheer you on. I bet following Christ is a little like that too. Oh, it's a red light. It's a stop sign, actually. <laughs> I so let's go inside and read some more from the book of Titus and see what we learn from what Paul told Titus or told Titus to teach the people in Crete so long ago. And let's see if we find something that's helpful to us today. I think you did a great job. Good job. Yeah. Thanks, Tree. Thanks for the ride. Do you remember learning how to drive a car? Have you ever tried to teach someone else how to do something new? Sometimes it's hard to teach another person how to do something that you have done so many times that you've forgotten the details uh, that were required to learn in order to develop that skill. And maybe if you understand what that's like to teach someone else to do something that is hard, but over time becomes easier, 
and more natural. Perhaps if you understand that, then you understand what Paul is asking Titus to do in this letter that, uh, that we're reading, where Paul wrote to Titus and said, I want you to teach a group of people who are the church how to behave, how to act uh, as people who believe in God. And that's not an easy thing to do, and it's not something that happens all at once. But you'll remember last week we talked about how Crete was a rough place. It's a beautiful island right there in the Mediterranean. But in the first century, they retained a reputation that came from their history. It was an island that was known for uh, its history of uh, having pirates. And they were known for being liars and brutes and lazy gluttons. And for some reason, even long after it was no longer an island controlled by pirates, they retained that reputation. And to some extent, they were proud of it. And that attitude had actually pervaded the church. And so when Paul's writing to Titus, he's telling Titus that he is to point out uh, those errors in the way that people were living uh, in the church. In fact, last week we read the uh, verse where Paul was uh, talking to Titus there in chapter 1, and he says, uh, quoting Epimenides, their prophet, that the Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And he says, this is true. This statement about them is true. But then he goes on to say, this is true of those people in the church, those people who claim to know God, uh, but who choose to act in a way that is detestable, disobedient, and when it comes to doing anything good, Paul says they are a dokimon, meaning like a coin that is counterfeit, that they are counterfeit. And he says they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. Did you know that it's possible to lie, not just in words, but also in your actions? And that's what Paul is saying to Titus is happening in Crete, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so Paul, in today's uh, lesson we'll go through and see how Paul, when writing to Titus, shows that for Christians, even living in a culture that is known for, for its lies, for being uh, overbearing brutes, for being lazy gluttons, even in a culture like that, uh, the people who are followers of Christ can be different. And by being different, they end up changing not just themselves, not just this body of people called the church, but they change their entire community. And I'll show you how that's true today. So let me take just a minute, and instead of reading the letter sentence by sentence, let me read just the list of qualities that Paul tells Titus to be teaching the church. And listen for uh, the patterns of words and for common words and phrases that you hear over and over again. First of all, to elders. He teaches them to be blameless to be the husband of but one wife, <clears throat> literally to be a one-woman man, uh, to be a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. They are to be not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. And you hear in that the, the opposite of what Crete had been known for, uh, what their culture had come to be proud of, people who were liars and brutes and lazy gluttons, not so of the church. Rather, elders are to be hospitable, 
ones who love what is good, who are self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And notice that word self-controlled. That word self-controlled is the word sophrosune. It means to be able to act against what is an instinct or a passion or an impulse or a, a desire. To be one who is sober-minded and in a polished way is able uh, to do what is right at the right time uh, for the right reasons. He is to hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. And then he, he says this about the older men. Teach older men to be temperate. The word there uh, could mean to be uh, sober in the sense of not drinking much alcohol. That they are to be worthy of respect. That they are to be self-controlled. And there's that word, sophrosune again. And they are to be sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. The word sound there is the same word that we, or uh, uh, the word from which we get the word hygienic or hygieia. It means to be healthy. They are to be healthy in faith, in love, and in endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent or holy in the way they live, not slanderers. The word slanderer there is the same word uh, as the, the word for the devil. Uh, literally, it says, do not be uh, devil-like, remembering that the devil was an accuser. And so women, older women are not to be accusers uh, or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. They uh, then can train the younger women to have these qualities, to be uh, lovers of their husband. And the word love there is the word philos. In other words, to be a, a friend to their husbands and to their children, to be, again, self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, to the younger men, they are to be, here's the word again, self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. So to Titus, he is to have these qualities. He is to show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose him may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say. And then to slaves, or the word there could be the word servants. Probably in a modern day context, we would say um, uh, teach the Christians who are employees to be subject to their employers in everything, uh, to try and please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Uh, and you catch in there that to be a servant in Crete, uh, it was common to be a person who bought into the local culture, and it was apparently common for people to talk back to their masters, to cheat their masters, to steal from their masters, but not so of you if you are a Christian uh, who is an employee. You behave differently so that in every way you will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. <clears throat> and then he goes on to say that, uh, that for all of us, uh, this is in chapter 3, for everyone is to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, 
to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility towards all men. And so you hear there the long list of qualities that Paul says to Titus. These are the qualities that you are to teach the Christians in Crete to be developing in their lives, in their churches, and in their community. Well, you get the the point that when Paul is writing to Titus, most of this book is a list of all the qualities, all these virtues that uh, Titus is to be teaching in, in incremental ways to the people who were a part of that church. And just like learning to drive a vehicle, as the people of this first congregation and these congregations on Crete, as they practiced these qualities over and over and over again, they became a people there on Crete who were changing the entire culture. No longer was Crete to be a place of liars and brutes and lazy gluttons, but it, came, it became and was to become an entire island that would be known for all of these qualities that you read about because that's what uh, God was doing in the lives of those people, remaking them to be what his children look like. Now we see a hint of that in chapter 3 when Paul says, as he says in, in some other letters too, you realize that at one time we were all messed up. He says, there was a time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. That word saved means that He made us right again. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. And Paul here makes an important point, and don't miss this, that being saved by God, being made right again by God, has nothing to do with getting everything right first. You know, there's a sense in which we feel like we need to learn how to live the way a follower of Christ would live so that God will accept us and that he will, he will save us once we get things right. There's a, there's a tendency to think that it's our job to, get to, to be right first. But uh, the gospel uh, of God is that he is the one who does that amazing work in each of us. And that's what Paul is alluding to here when he says that we are saved, not because we come to God with all of these qualities having uh, gotten things right first. We are saved because of his mercy. And then listen to what he says next. He saved us through the washing of two things, rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says to Titus, uh, you know, there was a time when we were all in trouble. But God, because of his mercy, did two things. Through the Holy Spirit, he gave us rebirth. This is that term. We are born again. And the second is he gave us renewal. Now notice both of those terms uh, bring to mind something of a starting over, a second chance. If a person is born again or reborn, it's it's not that that they get a a second chance to repeat one particular day. To be reborn means to have a chance to do everything over again, but this time to do it right. To be reborn means to go back, not just to yesterday or not just to the last time that you messed up, but to go all the way back to the beginning, to 
to, to your very birth. And then that second word, renewal, is actually a fun word because we, we think it might be a word that Paul coined. The word is anakino. That's two words. The first means uh, to, uh, uh, again, ana, and then kino, which means new. And so the, the word in English is to renew. But it's not renew in the sense of um, a, a car has gotten a little bit old, and so I'm going to polish it. I'm going to you know fix up the engine, put on some new parts, and sort of renew the car. It's not like taking a computer and uh, and trying to uh, you know uh, uh, empty out the cache and take away any old programs that are getting in the way. Uh, to renew something for your car is like taking it back to the factory and having them totally remake it brand new. Or for a computer, it means to take the computer all the way back to its factory settings and make it brand new again. And he uses two words here to make sure you get the point that when God saved us, he did so by his Holy Spirit, uh, allowing us to be reborn and secondly, to be made new again or to be renewed. And then because God has saved us, by renewing us, by allowing us to be reborn. That's why he says, here is a trustworthy saying. And then Paul says to Titus, I want you to stress these things. Don't miss this. Stress these things so that those who trust in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And there's the contrast. In Crete, there were people who say they believe in God, but by their actions, they deny him. In other words, they're counterfeit in the way that they live. And then he shows all of these qualities of people who follow Christ, who are not counterfeit, who are, are true and do not deny God. And then at the end of the book, he says, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And so the lesson of Titus is that for those of us who choose to follow Christ, who have put our faith in God, life is like practicing a new skill. And that skill is learning how to be one of God's children. And so we follow Christ. We follow his example. And these qualities that we read about in the book of Titus are the types of qualities that are developed in someone who follows Christ. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens one day at a time, practicing each of these skills. Well, that's the book of Titus. It's amazing to think that a letter that was written to a young man living on a Mediterranean island would apply to us living in Alaska, but it does. Paul ends this letter, in essence, by saying, God has given you a set of keys. And he said, here, I've purchased this life for you. Let's take it out for a spin and learn some of the skills. Well, I hope that you'll take some time today to go back into the book of Titus. Find that section that applies to you and read those virtues and those qualities and think about which of these skills, which of these qualities and virtues are you going to work on this week? Well, in these days of social distancing, I hope you're able to spend time with your family and you're able to get outside and enjoy this world that God has made. My family and I are going for a hike. We're going to get outside and enjoy uh, this great weather. I hope that you're able to do the same. God bless you. Have a good week.